0: Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Thank you, Tori and the music team. Uh, We've sung sung that song a number of times, and I don't know why, but for the first time, the phrase... The altar of my life stuck out to me. Christ you magnified from the altar of my life. And it reminded me of uh, Romans uh, 12. Uh, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Um, So I love that. What do you put on an altar? You put a sacrifice on an altar. And by Christ being magnified in us, we offer our lives to him. Um, So I love that song and, and thank you for singing that. Um, I'm going to start with a word of prayer, and then we are going to uh, jump right into Matthew. Uh, We got quite a bit to cover today, so here we go. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for your your people. We're grateful that we can meet this morning, and we can offer praises and sacrifices to you of worship. Um, I do ask right now, Lord, that as we Uh, open your word, and as we look at an overview of Matthew, that you would be honored in our minds. You would open our eyes so that we can see your word. Spirit, we ask that you would unstop our ears and you would give us ears to hear. Jesus, we pray that you would be glorified this morning in our thoughts, in our actions, in our words, in our bodies even. And it's in... uh, in the triune name of Father, Son, and Spirit that we participate in, that we worship in, and that we pray all of these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, given that our name is Ankeny Gospel Church, we thought that we would start uh, a gospel, one of the gospels in the Bible. We did a little quick stint through Mark uh, last April, just for uh, Palm Sunday and, and Easter. Um, but we wanted to take some time after we did Ezra and Nehemiah last summer. We did Philippians last fall. We took... a, a December and we focused on Advent. Well, now we're going to jump into the gospel according to Matthew. As always, each time we start a new series, we start with an overview of the book itself. So we did this with Ezra and Nehemiah, did this with Philippians, where the first series is not, not technically a, a specific verse, but it's rather the overview. It's like, where are we going? What's Matthew all about? You know, I like to use the il- illustration of skydiving. When you're up in the plain, you can see a lot of the land and then you jump out of the plane and you get close, it's like you're zooming in, you get closer and closer and eventually when you hit the ground, safely hit the ground, I hope, you, uh, you can see individual blades of grass. So what we're going to do today is we're going to be in the plane, we're going to look at Matthew, we're going to be like, okay, this is what's going on. We're going to answer three questions uh, about Matthew. We're going to answer the why, the what, and the how. Why, what, and how. This is just what we're going to do today. So why Matthew, why Why are we going to go through Matthew? Why did we choose Matthew to go through? Uh, Why did we choose the subtitle, Kingdom of Heaven? We're going to talk about that. Then we're going to look at, what is Matthew? Now that might sound like a funny question. What is Matthew? What are you talking about? It's a book in my Bible. Yes. But it's very important that we understand what type of book Matthew is. So we're going to look at, what is Matthew? And then we're going to finally look at, how are we going to do this? Matthew is a long book. There's 28 chapters. How are we going to go through this? Uh, together. Some of you guys are just like, oh my gosh, 28 chapters? Can we do this? Yes, we can. I know we can. So how are we going to go through it? So that's where we're going today. The why, the what, and the how of Matthew. So first, why? Why Matthew? The, we've been talking a lot the last couple weeks and months about the goal of a Christian. We saw this in Philippians. The telos of the Christian life is to become a person like Jesus, to become a person of love, to put the needs of others above the needs of the self to participate in God's relationship with himself and with his community so that we can love God and love others. That's our mission statement here at Ankeny Gospel Church, love God, love others. How do we do that? Last week we looked at the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28, and how we do that is we, we Jesus says at the end of Matthew, he says, all authority has been given to me. He says, I'm in charge, heaven and earth, I'm in charge of heaven and earth, of God's space, of human space. Now, therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the triune name. We looked also at who he was talking to last week. Jesus was talking to his 11 disciples. Judas had since been gone by that point. Jesus was talking to his 11 disciples, which means what? That in order to make disciples, you have to first be a disciple yourself, right? The reverse is also true. If you are not making disciples, fall the smoke back to the fire, what might that mean? That might mean you yourself are not a disciple. That's the Great Commission. Now, here's the problem. A lot of people start with the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Go and do this. And, 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 and that's good. But the problem is, is that if you start that way, then you might do what uh, Dallas Willard calls the Great Omission. Where if you start by saying, well, just go, 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 go make disciples. And you neglect the fact that Jesus is first talking to his disciples that were following him for three years that we're learning under his, te- sitting under his teaching for three years, that we're failing and succeeding and trying all the, for three years these disciples are following Jesus. We might do the great omission where we actually omit discipleship for the sake of growth or making disciples or something like that. Because we have actually made it, there, we live in a moment now with cultural Christianity where we've made it possible for you to become a Christian without actually being a disciple. You, we now, cultural Christianity is such that you can become a Christian and still look like the world, talk like the world, think like the world, and act like the world. You can become a Christian and devote a lot of time to the church and not actually be transformed from the inside out. You can become a Christian, I'm putting these in air quotes, become a Christian and still be afraid of the world. Perfect love casts out fear. We have no fear. So, this is the great omission. Here's the solution. Chapter 28, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, follows what? Chapters 1 through 27, which is, which is what? Why, why are we going through Matthew chapters 1 through 27? Because we want to look at what it is and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Before we get to the Great Commission, we have to understand what it looks like to, to be excited and encouraged by Jesus. What it looks like to be ashamed and to doubt Jesus. What it looks like to be confused by Jesus. What, what, what Jesus, what, what are you talking about? What it looks like to repent and believe. Jesus says, repent and believe the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the reason, one of the reasons we're going through Matthew is so that we get a close look at what it means to follow Jesus what it means to be his apprentice, his disciple, to actually day in and day out follow Jesus. We're gonna look at this later, but Matthew is showing us, a lot of people, you know, you might ask, well, how do I follow Jesus in, a day, in my day-to-day life? Read, Ma- Matthew's showing us what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, to sit at his feet. That is what Matthew is telling those who have ears to hear. Now, the sub- so that's kind of a reason why. The subtitle, if you notice, uh, Matthew, the subtitle is the kingdom of heaven. Why did we choose the kingdom of heaven? Um, this is really cool. Jesus says, if you like stats and facts, Jesus says the word kingdom or the phrase kingdom of heaven over 30 times in the Gospel of Matthew. That's over one per, uh, averages out to over one per chapter. There's 28 chapters. The phrase, not out of Jesus, but the phrase kingdom or kingdom of heaven, occurs over 55 times in the Gospel according to Matthew. Now general Bible reading technique, if you are reading something and you see a phrase or a word repeated over and over and over and over again, it's probably important and it's not there by accident. So a lot of scholars title the the uh, the gospel according to Matthew, kingdom, like the kingdom. What is the kingdom of heaven? So uh, the goal of that then is to get this idea of kingdom of heaven imprinted on our minds and our hearts. And we went over this uh, in Advent, but it's really important because we're going to keep unashamedly going over this again and again and again what is the kingdom uh, of heaven why did we choose kingdom of heaven to be a subtitle for Matthew well we've explained this but there's going to be a diagram on the screen and the first one is a circle just a simple circle on the right no on the left sorry on my right on your left Uh, on the on the far left there's a simple circle and what this circle is is it represents Genesis 1 it represents creation It represents Genesis 1 and 2. It represents heaven, God's space, and earth, man's space, as one. If you read Genesis 1 and 2, you know that there's no sin. There's no broken relationship. God is with his people. Man is, it says in Genesis 2, that the woman and the man were naked and they were not not ashamed. There's nothing to hide. It's beautiful. God created this good, beautiful world, and he said, go for it. Have, have fun, make, make uh, families, make cities, make art, make, uh, like, uh, like, just go for it. Rule the world, have dominion over it. And it was perfect, right? This is heaven and earth, God and his people united together as one. And that lasts about two or three pages. You get to Genesis 3, what happens? There's this split. Heaven and earth are now separated. God cannot be in the presence of sin. God is holy, and what sin does is it breaks relationship. Always, always, sin breaks relationships. The result of sin is always broken relationships between man and God and between man and man, between humans and God and between each other, humans and humans. If you notice, uh, between humans and humans, Adam and Eve, what, They they were ashamed, so they hid from each other, why? Their relationship together was broken, and then they hid from God, why? Because their relationship was broken. So they were cast out of the garden, God's presence, heaven, the kingdom of heaven, was separated from earth, right? Not, like, literally, like, the tangible, like, whatever. But, like, the presence of God's presence and man's presence were not together anymore. What's the rest of the story from Genesis 3 to Matthew 1-1, or the verse before Matthew 1-1? It's the prophets, it's the, uh, the writers of the Old Testament all talking about, trying to figure out a way. God is himself giving opportunities for those two circles to become one again. What's the tabernacle? It's God's presence with his people. It's so powerful, though, that if you approach it wrong, you're, you, you will die. What's the temple? God's presence with his people. Those are little expressions of the presence of God, the kingdom of heaven, Earth. Now, the prophets talked about this day of the Lord, the last day, and the last days in those days, and the great and awesome and terrible day of the Lord, really kind of scary language for what they're referring to as the end, which is represented in the last circle on the right, uh, which is the, uni- the, the, the unity of heaven and earth, when heaven and earth again become one. Now, this is the day of the Lord when it's like God, and and what's going to happen at earth at that time? All sin will be expelled, right? All those who are in Christ at the time, they they were just like, if you're in the covenant family of Abraham, you're in, but the Lord's coming back one day. Heaven and earth are going to be united, and this is going to be the great and awesome uh, day of the Lord. What they didn't expect... This is why the gospel is so beautiful because God didn't just snap his fingers and be like, okay, you're done. Pff, that's it, like, better luck like, next time. What they didn't expect and why Jesus is so compelling and beautiful is this overlap of the two. Jesus himself, from, in the kingdom of heaven, he lived in the kingdom of heaven, but where did he come? He came down to earth. And he did what? He gave us an opportunity to enter that kingdom. He gave us an opportunity to repent And believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus says that. It's one of those first words that he says when he he starts his mission. Repent and believe, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Where do you and I live now when we are in Christ? We live in the middle ground. And you can go to the next slide too. We live in this middle ground right here where Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, what what does Jesus pray in the, uh, the Lord's Prayer? On earth as it is in heaven. What is he saying? He's saying, Everything that's true of God's kingdom, of the kingdom of heaven, I want to be true here. Well, what is God's kingdom? It's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of self-sacrifice for the needs of others. It's a kingdom of no disease. Why do you think Jesus was performing all those miracles, healing diseases? He was showing us what the kingdom of heaven is all about. It's a kingdom where, where, where nobody is, is selfish, nobody is ashamed, but all come as they are, and they are transformed by the love and the forgiveness and the selflessness of Jesus. That's the kingdom of heaven. We're not there yet. You can see where there's this overlap. We're still here on earth, but we are actually invited to participate in this kingdom, to live in it, in and through Jesus, and ultimately to invite other people to live in it as well. That is why the kingdom of heaven is so important. Now, again, this is pretty conceptual. Uh, it's, it's hard to, to tangibly like, go throughout your life and be like, okay, well, am I living in the kingdom of heaven now or am I not living in the kingdom of heaven now? What we're going to do in Matthew, and this is the reason why the Bible is to be read over and over and over again, is because we are going to be formed, hopefully, for the rest of our lives, understanding what this means, tethering out what this means. Why, why is this why Is this significant? Is it significant? How have I succeeded in this way as in living in the kingdom of heaven? How have I not succeeded? Where do I need to repent and believe again and again and again? So the good news is that you don't have it solved. You don't have to have it solved, you know, right now. The bad news is, well, it's not bad news. The other good news is that we're going to be taking the rest of our lives figuring this this beauty and this truth out. So that's why we're doing Matthew. Because Matthew, we want to look at what discipleship is And we want to continually submit ourselves to the kingdom of heaven. Next, we're going to look at what. What is Matthew? Now, I mentioned this as a weird question earlier, but here's why it's important. Because if we don't know what Matthew is as a book, we run the risk of approaching it incorrectly. And if we approach it incorrectly, we might read it incorrectly. If we read it incorrectly, we might interpret it incorrectly. If we interpret it incorrectly, we will apply it incorrectly. At best, that means we're just ignorant of our Bibles. At worst, it means we have the potential to become the hypocrites. We, can be, we have the potential to become hypocrites like the, fr- like the scribes and the Pharisees. How did the scribes and the Pharisees approach the law? They didn't know what the law was. They didn't know what it was, so they approached it incorrectly. And because of that they read it incorrectly because of that they interpreted it incorrectly because of that they applied it incorrectly to themselves and to others to the point where Jesus in Matthew 23 says woe to you scribes and pharisees you travel land and sea to make a single convert and when you make them a convert you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are it is very important that we understand what Matthew is because if we don't we run the risk applying it incorrectly, of learning about it incorrectly, and of interpreting it incorrectly and becoming a burden on ourselves and on others. So that's why it's important to know what Matthew is. First, first thing of what Matthew is, there's three things that we're going to look at of what Matthew is. The first, Matthew is a gospel. This is why you go to seminary, people, (laughs) to say that Matthew is a gospel, right? You're like, why are we paying him again? He's just telling us that. Yeah, well, you're like, duh, no, no. Uh, like, obviously, it's a gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the four gospels uh, in, in our Bible. But uh, Scott McKnight is a, theolo- a New Testament theologian and author. He has a book titled The King Jesus Gospel, and he starts it by saying this. The gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the gospel. Again, simple, but revolutionary. Because what that means is that Not a single story, individual story in Matthew is the gospel. The whole thing is the gospel. Right? Not just a portion of Matthew is the gospel. The entirety of Matthew is the gospel. It's very easy to simplify the gospel down to a single story. Uh, whether it's just the death of Jesus or the John three sixteen gospel or the Jesus in my place gospel or the Reformed gospel or the evangelical gospel. It's tempting to, uh, to minimize and simplify the gospel to just one little truth. But if we look at what this is, the entire book of Matthew is the good news, which means that next week when we preach the genealogy, you guys are ready for the genealogy next week, we're going to be preaching what? The gospel. When we preach the disciples following Jesus or doubting Jesus, what is that? That's the gospel. Whenever we preach Jesus from Matthew, the kingdom of heaven, people following him, people being confused by him, looking at what it means for Jesus to be Lord over heaven and Lord over earth, we are preaching the gospel that from the genealogy to the birth to the temptation in the wilderness, from the disciples, the parables, the confrontation of Pharisees, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the Great Commission, and the last 2,000 years of beautiful church tradition that we inherit, all of that is the good news, not just a single portion of it. The gospels are the gospel. Matthew is, what is Matthew? Matthew is a gospel from 1-1 to twenty eight twenty. Second thing that Matthew is, Matthew is also a biography, a biography. Now, um, I recently read, well, I guess it was a couple years ago now, I read a, a biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, phenomenal biography, then, as I was in the footnotes, I realized that there were other biographies on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I was like, why are there more? And so I read one of those. And then I realized there was another one. And there were, there were way too many biographies on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And as I was reading, I was like, oh, okay, each of these authors have a specific point that they want to make, right? Each of these authors have a, a point. You know, one of them was just pretty, like, Bonhoeffer could do no wrong. Like, it was just, like, this dude clearly loved Bonhoeffer, and he was just, like, you know he's perfect. Another one was a more nuanced portrait of Bonhoeffer and it was like a lot about the World War II stuff and Bonhoeffer and the church in Germany and the Lutheran Church at the time. So my point in saying this is that biographies contain history, right? Bonhoeffer was a historical person. He lived through, you know, all these different things in World War II and etc. But their primary purpose is not to just give you camera footage of of Bonhoeffer's life, right? In the same way, We have four gospels, four biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of them are historical, 100%. Absolutely everything in there happened. But their primary purpose is not to just tell us like a camera footage of what happened. Matthew has an agenda, an angle that's different than Mark's, that's different than Luke's, that's different than John's. And so our goal is to approach this biography and say, okay, Lord, what are you teaching me through Matthew?" What is Matthew? It's a biography of Jesus' life from a perspective, and the perspective is beautiful. And there's, he's talking about Jesus as the new David, as the new Adam. It's a very Jewish book. There's a lot of Old Testament quotes. You go to Mark, and what is it? It's just fast-paced. He's like, all right, let's get to the point. Let's do this. Why? It's a biography, which means that as we read it, we want to learn about who Jesus is so that we can better follow him. We want to learn and be transformed by this book through the Holy Spirit, so that we can better follow Him. So, what is Matthew? It's a gospel, it's a biography. Excuse me. And then finally, what is Matthew? It's an invitation. Matthew is an invitation. Uh, it's it's easy to look at Paul's letters. So you go to Romans, you go to the Corinthians, you go to Galatians, and you're like, "Oh, cool! I know what I need to do. I read this. It's just telling me." Like, here's the invitation to, for, for how to live. And then when sometimes we go to, like, stories, it's harder to see the invitation from the author because it just feels like, you know, like we're just kind of, like, reading a story. But what Matthew is doing in giving us this gospel biography, what Matthew is doing is he is inviting us to follow Jesus. Here's Matthew's agenda. I want you to see that Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth bringing the kingdom of heaven down to earth, and I want you to follow him. That's Matthew's agenda. Matthew's saying, here's Jesus, the king of the universe, became a human. I want you to follow him. Now, he does it through stories, right? So it's kind of like we have to to work our brain, like we, we work through logic and, you know, uh, reason and paul's letters of this and then that and therefore because of this but this is a story right it's a true story absolutely but this is a story which means that I- in order for us to see the invitation we have to continually pray say lord show me how to follow you we have to continually submit ourselves to jesus and say jesus you are the lord of my life matthew is showing me that and now i'm invited to follow him we actually don't need to ask the question what does it look like to follow jesus because Matthew is going to show us. If you th- let's just take a quick survey of the disciples. The disciples in Matthew are, are n- the disciples in Mark. If you remember, are are really. Um, <laughs> I don't want to say dumb. They're not the brightest. They always fail in Mark. In Matthew, there's a different perspective. In Matthew, they're they're. They, they follow the Lord. They follow immediately and they, they do this and they don't mess up as many times. However, in Matthew, the scribes and the Pharisees, we're going to see this in chapter 2, this especially in chapter 2, the scribes and the Pharisees are absolutely the enemy from day one. Like 100% the enemy. Which means what? Throughout Matthew, we see the disciples following Jesus and we see the hypocrites not following Jesus. And Matthew is very clear at who he wants us to be. Matthew wants us to identify with, one of the, with these characters and say, oh, th- oh that's me. Oh, I need to repent of that. Matthew is a very Jewish, he's writing to a very Jewish audience. There's a lot, there's the most Old Testament quotations in Matthew than any other gospel. That's also why he lambasts the scribes and the Pharisees the most, because they were the religious Jewish leaders, and he said they didn't get it. So the re- Matthew is an invitation because he shows us who Jesus is and he invites us to identify ourselves with some of the characters with some of the characters and then learn how to follow Jesus. All of this is an invitation. So what is Matthew? It's a gospel. The entire thing is the gospel, not just part of it. It's a biography. It has an agenda. It's just telling us, it's showing us, it's painting a beautiful portrait of who Jesus is. And then finally, it's an invitation. It invites us to follow Jesus to become his disciples. That's the why. That's the what. Now we're going on to the how. How are we going to go through Matthew? Um, Matthew is designed in five movements. Five movements. You might call them like, you know, season. Like, you know, and we get this with TV. Like there's seasons, season one, season two, blah, blah, blah. It's like Matthew uh, intentionally had five movements in his, um, in his gospel. Now, side note, some scholars think that Matthew, since it's the first book of the New Testament, is a, is a mirror of the five books of Moses, the five books of the Pentateuch, and Jesus is now the new and better Moses, not abolishing the law, but fulfilling the law, and he goes up on a mountain, and he delivers God's word, just like Moses went up on the mountain. It's beautiful. It's really cool. So all that to say is, there are five movements in Matthew. Each movement ends with a large chunk of teaching from Jesus, the first movement is, uh, is the Sermon on the Mount, right? So we actually are going to divide up this series into five movements following each of the movements of Matthew. So that's how we're going to be able to do this uh, well and do it over the course of a, a, a while. The first movement ends with the Sermon on the Mount. If you Sermon on the Mount is, is chapters 5 through 7. So the first movement would be chapter 1 through chapter 7, and it ends with Jesus' teaching. So movement one, we're gonna be going through this spring into the early summer, and we're gonna be looking at movement number one. The next movement will be later this fall, movement two, and it ends with Jesus teaching his disciples, and it ends with him actually sending them out to go on mission, and he teaches them. He said, you're gonna go on mission. This is what I want you to do. I want you to uh, perform miracles. I want you to cast out demons, and so we have this little you know, image of, of walking, of going. That's movement two. Jesus said it's called the Olivet Discourse. The third movement... Jesus ends with a a large chunk of parables. In the middle of Matthew, like 13 through 14 or 15 or something like that, Jesus is just like parable after parable after parable after parable after parable. Like, it's just like, okay, we get the point, right? A lot of these parables are about the ground, about plants, about seed, about pruning uh, trees, about bearing fruit, about all this stuff. So the third movement, we're going to look at those chapters, and we're going to end with Jesus' teachings on the parables. Fourth movement, you guys still tracking with me? I know this is, this is a lot of information, but we're almost done. Fourth movement um, ends with Matthew 18 and 19 when Jesus talks about how to relate to one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, Speaking of Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called *Life Together*, and it's about what does Christian community look like. It's based off of this. Matthew 18 is also where we get that passage about if your brother sins, uh, bring him, uh, confront him one on one, then bring him to a group, then bring him to a larger group, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's from Matthew 18. So we have this representation of you know two hands shaking. Like this is what it looks like to live in Christian community. Finally, the last movement. It ends with the empty tomb. It ends with the resurrection of Jesus. But the teaching right before that is the woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. There are seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus says. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You're whitewashed tombs. You clean the outside of a jar, but the inside is filthy. And it's really, really intense. But then right after that, it ends with the crucifixion and the resurrection. And then ultimately with a great commission, which is like a teaching, but it's really, really small. Those are the five movements that we're going to go through over the next while uh, here with, with Matthew. Um, the beautiful thing is, is if you take all of those five teachings of Jesus, the end of movement one, the end of movement two, end of movement three, four, and five, if you take all those teachings and you put them together and you read them together, it is telling you what a disciple is. This is how my heart is is more important than my external actions. That's the Sermon on the Mount. The heart is the most important thing. This is how I need to go out into my community and bring the kingdom of heaven with me. This is how I need to understand what the kingdom of heaven is and these parables and these, these, these uh, seeming paradigms and contradictions and all this stuff. Like, what is the kingdom? This is how I need to relate to other people, Christian community. This is what I need to avoid the woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. All five major teachings of Jesus are painting a portrait of what it looks like to follow Him, so that we can be a disciple, and we can make disciples. We can be a disciple, and we can make disciples. Earlier, I said that it's dangerous to start with the Great Commission first because a lot of times we're not dis- we're told to make disciples when we're not disciples. Those two things don't happen in Order, right? They happen together as we are becoming disciples We are making so you don't you don't wait be like am I dis- i'm just gonna wait a couple more years Wait till I'm a disciple and then i'll start making disciples No, they happen together as we're transformed from the inside out. We are becoming a disciple of jesus and we're making disciples baptizing them teaching them training them all of this is why we're doing matthew what matthew is and then how we're going to go through it now I know that was a lot, but like I said, we wanted the, the 30,000 foot view. We're looking at the ground from the the top of the, or from the plane uh, type of thing. So I, I want to I land the plane. No pun intended. I want to land the plane this way. I, I want us to think about areas that the Lord might be bringing to mind or the Lord might be bringing to your heart where you're like, I know that's a hole in my discipleship. I know that's where I can and need to grow in my discipleship. I also want you to think of areas where you're like, uh, this is an area where I, I feel the Lord has gifted me in. I feel like I'm, I'm following Jesus well in this area. I'm, disi- I'm being a disciple well in this area. And I also want us to think and, and have the Lord bring to mind in what areas you think of the Great Commission. You think of the, the whole thing as the gospel. You think of it ending with Jesus saying, I'm in charge. Now go and make disciples. Who... Are you discipling who are you in a relationship with that you are making disciples because again again we, we can't make disciples if we ourselves are not disciples that's the primary fact but also the reverse is true if we're not making disciples what might that mean doesn't always mean it but what might that mean that might mean that we ourselves are not disciples So rather than this being a a condemning book, like, oh, well, this is the areas I've failed and this is where I need to really make disciples and try harder, this is actually an encouraging book. We're gonna look at, for the next 28 chapters, what it looks like to be a disciple so that we can be transformed from the inside out into a person of love who looks more like Jesus. We live in the kingdom of heaven, we apply that kingdom of heaven for the good of others, and we invite other people into the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew and I'm excited about getting started more officially next week. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your goodness. We thank you that uh, you did not leave us, uh, but you sent your son at the the right time, at the fullness of all time, and uh, in and through him we have life. God, I ask as we um, embark on this journey through Matthew that you would continue to refine us, you would prune us, of dead branches in our lives. You would fill us with your life, with your spirit. Ultimately, Lord, so that we can bear fruit and we can just, Lord, teach us what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven. Teach us what it means to be a disciple of you. Lord, I know I don't want to just be a Christian but not be a disciple, be a cultural Christian but not be a disciple. So Lord, I ask that you would prevent that in me, you would prevent that in our church, you would guard us from that we pray. We pray all these things in your sin's name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at inconygospel.com or you can find us on social media at Gospel.